Thanks for joining us for today's message. We're always encouraged to hear about how God is using Adventure Church to speak and work in your life. If you've got a story you'd like to share, please do so on adventurechurch.tv slash mystory. Also, if you'd like to support Adventure Church financially, you can do that online and help us bring messages just like this one to you each and every week. Now let's prepare our hearts to hear a word from God. This week, we are finishing up our mini-series, Why Do We? Week one, we talked about why do we do community? Why do we connect? Why do we do life groups? And how it's so important for us to have companionship. And many times the enemy tries to lie to us and tells you that you should be able to handle this yourself. You should be able to go alone. You shouldn't need people's help. But in reality, you were designed for companionship. And what we find is that isolation leads to devastation. And so I'm so excited to say that I believe we've got anywhere between 130 and 150 people plugged into life groups this semester, which is outstanding, okay? If you are here and you're like, man, I'm not plugged into a life group, but I'd like to be with one, that's so cool. What I need you to do is fill out that connect card, hold on to it, turn it with the tithe and offering here in just a little bit. We'll get you connected. Week two, we talked about why do we give? How many of you love coming to church and talking about why? you should give to the church, right? And so Pastor uh, Kyle told us how money oftentimes will manage us. You've been there, right? Money's running your life. Your income is stressing you out. You wish you could do more. You could live better, but money is always holding us back. And again, God designed us to manage our money. And one of the best ways that we can do to combat money being our master is to Give. And here's the deal. We don't give our 10%, our offering, whatever it may be. We don't give it because God needs it, because the church is barely getting by, so y'all better give. But rather, giving is the best way for God to liberate your life from the chains that money can oftentimes hold you down with. This week, we are talking about one of my very, very favorite topics. It's something that I love to do. It's something that I love to be a part of. This week, we are talking about Worship. Look at your neighbor right now and say, it's about to get weird. Look at your neighbor. Come on, come on. We're talking. We're talking. It's about to get weird, okay? This is my first, ta- my first point for today. Uh, we're going we're gonna to get super spiritual here in a second. We're going to get really serious, okay? But can we just be real for just a couple minutes here in saying that worship is weird, period. Like, it just is. Worship is just weird. It's not normal. There's always going to be something that's just like, I don't quite understand that. And regardless of your background, I'm sure that whether it was here at Adventure Church or back at your grandma's church 15 years ago, you saw something you're like, huh, that's kind of weird. I've got an extensive background with this, okay? I uh, had the opportunity to see both uh, sides of the spectrum and see all weirdness in every way, shape, or form. For 13 years, I went to the same very, very, very conservative Christian school. And every single Tuesday, we had chapel, all right? And worship, as it would look like to them, was a teacher would come up to the front, another teacher would make their way to the piano, and he would say, turn to such and such a page in your hymnal, right? Right? You know what I'm talking about, okay? And, and if you want to keep it pop, make sure everyone knew the song, he would say Amazing Grace. Everyone knows Amazing Grace. Other times he'd throw it back and go to Rock of Ages. You know what I'm talking about? Rock of Ages. Rock of Ages, cleft for me. Who knows what cleft me? No one knows. Just sing it so you don't get put into tension, okay? And sometimes they would get really edgy, and he would say not to turn to a page in your hymnal, but he'd say, crack out 
the chorus book, okay? So the difference was you had the hymns, those were written like 100, 150 years ago, and you had the chorus book, this was like, you know, 40, 50 years ago, so they were a little bit more upbeat. Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary. You don't even know what I'm talking about, okay? Sometimes, in order to engage the students, they'd even push the envelope a little bit further. They'd invite Danny Enfield to the front to play acoustic guitar. Can you imagine that? And you could feel the nervousness in the room by these very conservative teachers, and they're just like, oh, dear God, please don't let them play a power chord. Like, this is getting crazy. We're not charismatic. We are not charismatic. Watch your strumming, Daniel. And it was, it was kind of weird, okay? On the flip side, I've been to revivals, all right? Not just any type of revival, but Pentecostal revival. And I grew up as a Pentecostal, um, but it was a little bit different. My church was more like this, you know, cool worship with the band and stuff, okay? But I went to Pentecostal revivals that my buddies invited me to. And we were in a warehouse packed, 800 people. It was amazing. Bands jamming, everyone singing their hearts out. This is so awesome. This is crazy, you know, great. And then all of a sudden, something gets my attention towards the front of the room. I'm like, "What? what is that? And I'm seeing like someone going back and forth. And I look and I see people waving flags. And I'm like, hold, wait, hold on a sec. All right, this, what, what is going, I'm like trying to figure it out. I'm like, are they like air traffic controllers for Jesus? Like land here, right here, we're going this way. You know, I'm like, couldn't figure it out. And as I'm fixated on that, all of a sudden I feel a swoosh go by me. And I'm like, what in the world? I feel a swoosh go by me. And I look down the aisle and guys are starting to run up and down the aisles as a part of the worship. Again, I'm trying to understand this. And so my only, you know, excuse or reason for that was that they missed their cardio session that morning, right? And they were just simply coupling cardio with worship. There's no problem with that, but it was kind of weird. And now you might be looking at me and be like, that's crazy, Jake. I've never experienced any of that. Adventure Church is the only church that I've ever been to. I bet you you've been weirded here by something, right? I'm talking about the painful praise face. You know what I'm talking about? The painful praise face. Let me, let me demonstrate. You're having a very nice, serene moment with Jesus, and then all of a sudden, something catches your eye, and a couple rows over, you see someone that looked like they got hit by a truck, you know what I'm saying? Oh, Jesus. And you're like, oh, you're alarmed, obviously. So you grab your wife and you're like, Barbara, that woman is hurting. She's like, no, she's worshiping. And you're like, no, she just got stabbed. Like, you're calling for usher, greeters. Like, somebody help this woman. Like, it's weird, okay? If you don't know what I'm talking about, the painful praise face, you might have a painful praise face, all right? I do, all right? That's why I stand in the back, all right? And that's why I play guitar, so I can look at all of your faces, all right? It's weird. But here's the deal. If you don't know why you worship, worship will not only be weird, but you'll get weirded out. Get weirded out. You're like, that's strange, and therefore I don't even want to touch it. You love coming to Adventure Church, and so the 20 minutes that we worship together is like, just please, if that little worship leader up there tells me to raise my hands, I'm not going to do it. I'm not clapping my hands. I'm barely singing. That's a lie. I'm not even singing here, you know. And it's just like, oh, man, just get through this. And the one time that you break out and you're all of a sudden a diehard charismatic is at the end when the band's swelling and everyone's praising God because we're done. And you're like, yeah, we're done. All right, let's sit down. You get weirded out. So I want to go ahead and just ease your mind if that's you today. And uh, if you're just kind of worried and you're like, last time somebody talked about worship, you know, the band got up there at the end. They made us do all this crazy stuff. Let me just... Ease your mind, okay? Number one, we aren't going to talk about how to worship today. Believe it or not. We're not going to talk about what it looks like. Imagine this. At the end of the service today, I'm not even going to invite the band forward. 
crazy, okay? So take a big, deep breath. Look at your and say, it's going to be all right. It's all right. It's all right, okay? But rather than have our message today be consumed by the form, I want to focus on something that is far more important, which is the function of worship. The function of worship. Because as Christians, and I'm sure you've seen this, even if you've only been a Christian for the last two months, you've already had talks about worship, and what should we do? What should worship look like? What song should we sing? You know, should we dance? Should we, you know, clap our hands? Should we close our eyes? When do we close our eyes? I close my eyes during the fast song. They close their eyes in the slow song. This song talks about Jesus. This song talks to Jesus. So, like, we shouldn't say he is faithful. We should say you are faithful, because if you don't say you are faithful, God doesn't know that you're talking about him. And so, you know, you got to be direct like that. And it's just like, wow. And all the while, we assume that we know why. And so we can't talk about that today. Because here's the deal. If our worship is built on the form and not the function, it's going to fail when your faith gets tested. If we are really, really good at looking like we got it down, but in our hearts, we really don't know why, I guarantee it, as soon as your faith gets tested, you ain't going to be a worshiper no longer, okay? We see this true in so many different areas, i.e. fitness goals, okay? I bet you all at some point had a fitness goal. If you've never had a fitness goal, that's totally cool, Um, but you've probably seen someone post about their fitness goals on Facebook, right? Hashtag selfie, hashtag meal prep. I'm going to show you every single meal that I eat for the next 600 days, okay? I can make fun of it because I've done it, all right? Because if you go back in my Facebook, you'll see plenty of pictures of chicken, broccoli, and rice, and, you know, gains, and all that type of stuff, okay? But you had a fitness goal. You had this realization that I should be a fit person. And the first question that you asked yourself was not, why should I be a fit person? But it was, what do fit people look like? So, of course, you head to the mall. You've got to get some new clothes. You can't be rolling. Guys, you can't be rolling into the gym with your old sneakers. You've got to have some new Nike Air Maxes. Ladies, of course you can't shop at Kohl's. You've got to go to Lululemon, right? Get the bright pink tank tops and the colored, like, I don't know, jeggings, leggings, something. I don't understand it, okay? So now you're looking like a fitness person, and then you don't ask, you know, why again, but you ask, you know, where do fitness people go? Because I can't work out at home. Like, you got to go to a gym, someplace like Metro Fitness, LA Fitness, Planet Fitness, someplace that has fitness at the end of it, so that when you check in on Facebook, everyone knows, oh, she doing work, you know, she's at the gym getting fit. And you're there, and the next question you ask is, you know, how do I do it? What, what do fitness people do? And so ladies, right, elliptical, 15 minutes to six hours, you know, at a time. Guys, bench press, because it's the only exercise that matters, right? Working hard at that bench. And everything's great. You're, you're loving it. You're posting everything. You're encouraged. You're motivated. But then like oh, three, four weeks go by, and all of a sudden— It's kind of hard to get up in the morning before work. The elliptical has lost its charm. Guys, you thought you'd be able to bench press 315 in four weeks. You're barely scratching 185. Ladies, those motivational jeans that you bought, you know what I'm talking about, where you buy an article of clothing that's like two sizes smaller than what you are because you're like, I'm going to fit in those. It's still in the closet. Tags on. Hashtag struggle is real. And you get to this moment and you ask this question, finally, why am I doing this? And if you're like me, you ask that question and then you find yourself strolling on into Krispy Kreme because the light was on. You know what I'm saying? Hashtag hot and ready, hashtag ooey gooey, okay. 
Today, I don't want to talk about the forms, okay, but rather I want to deepen our why. I want to help us really, really, really to know why we worship, because here's the truth that sometimes I have a hard time learning and relearning, and it's this, is that the depth of our why determines the durability of our what. The depth of our why will determine the durability of what you are committed to doing. If you're not a Christ follower, man, I'm so glad you're here. And hopefully, um, you know, you, get, you don't get bored out too much. And so if you want, you can just replace what with anything that you're trying to do in your life, whether it's a, a relationship, whether it's a business, whether it's your fitness goals. If you don't have a firm why, I promise you it will not be very durable. But for us today, we're going to be talking about our worship. And so the first thing that I want to identify is where our depth is at. Where are we, okay? And I'm about to make a statement. I'm about to make a very educated guess, and I may not be right for every single person in this room, but I bet if I ask us all, why do we worship, that our answer would be closely associated to one word, and it's this, command. Command. I worship because I'm supposed to. I was told to. The Bible says so. When I was a little kid and we were at church and it was worship time and my mom was like, stand up. I looked and I said, why? And she said, because I told you so. And now here's the deal. The Bible does talk so much about why and and it talks about how we're supposed to do and I could list so many different verses why we're supposed to sing to the Lord, shout to the Lord, dance before the Lord, clap before the Lord, play a stringed instrument before the Lord, bow before the Lord, exalt the Lord, extol the Lord, those two different, exalt, extol, okay? And you're supposed to do all these things so it's like it's clear there's a command but the problem that I have with this depth resting in the command level is this, is that when my faith gets tested, commands are typically the first thing that I chuck out the window, And I know I'm alone here, and y'all are more holier than me, so let me just air out my dirty laundry, okay? When I go through a tough season, I know I'm supposed to do that, but I don't. I disregard it. Because, yes, God, I know you told me to do that, but I'm going through this, and therefore I need to focus on this. I need to fix this, and I need to have a moment of jubilee, and then I can turn around and I can praise you, okay? So, God, I know you want me to tell you that you're good, but I'm going through something bad. I know, God, you you tell me that I'm supposed to say he is faithful, but I'm going through something right now that, man, it seems like you are nowhere to be found, and my worship fails. And this inconsistency that I have beckons me to ask this question, like, is this it? Like, if, if it's true that the depth of my why determines the durability of my worship, and my worship is failing with a command in my hand, I start to wonder, like, am I supposed to have more? Am I supposed to go deeper? To which I believe that Jesus emphatically says, yes, we've got to go deeper. I believe that today, this is where God wants to lead us. I believe that God wants us to move past holding a command and towards having a conviction that God, not just you aren't satisfied, but rather God is not satisfied with you having a rule in your hand, but actually he wants to make something real in your heart. How do I know this? Because Jesus died for it. Jesus did not take on the cross so that we could have a life built on rules and regulations and what we're supposed to do. Man, you can do that anywhere. But rather, Jesus died so that we could have a reinstated relationship. Something real. 
And here's why this is so important that we get this, is because until you have conviction, you will not care about commands. You can try really hard, and you might be good for a while. I bet you any money when you get that, you know, uh, unexpected check in the mail, when you get that bonus, man, it's easy. I, t- I hold tight the commands of God, and I worship you. But then all of a sudden, you know, someone in your family goes through some health issues, medical bills start piling up, start eating into your savings, and all of a sudden it's, ooh, I, I, can't, I can't do that. I know I'm supposed to do that, but I'm going through this. And so today, I want to cast the vision for our why by unpacking what our worship does. Are you all right with that? You okay? All right, let's pray and ask God to speak to us. Father, go before us. Jesus, I believe that there's something so powerful, God, about worship. I believe there's something so powerful that you want to speak into our hearts. So here's the deal, God. You can't, it can't be me. It's got to be you. So I pray that you would take this one word and that you would speak to every single individual in this room personally in your name. And everyone said, Amen. We are going to go back to the Old Testament for today's text. We are going to be talking about a guy named King Jehoshaphat. Look at your name and say, King Jehoshaphat. You know you want to say it. Just say, King Jehoshaphat. You don't know about that. Don't act like you know about King Jehoshaphat, okay? How many of y'all are in a Bible study in Chronicles, Second Chronicles? That's what I thought. Well, that's where we're going. King Jehoshaphat was the king of Judah at the time, and he is a good king. He's a good king because he trusts in God. And not only does he trust in God, but he's taught the entire nation of Judah to trust and follow and fear God. Actually, in chapter 19, which is previous to the one that we're going to dive into, he is implementing a system across the land to teach everyone, hey, this is how we can follow God. Here, this is how we can fear him and bring him more into our lives. But yet we find ourselves in Second Chronicles 20, chapter 1, and the first two words is after this. So after this season of triumph, Jehoshaphat and Judah are about to come face to face with a moment of testing. After this, verse 1, the armies of the Moabites, Ammonites, And some of the Minyanites declare war on Jehoshaphat. Messengers came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army from Edom is marching against you from beyond the Dead Sea. They are already at Hazan Tamar. So here, not one, not two, but three, three of Judah's biggest enemies have formed an alliance to come against them. And they are only about, as scholars say, like just about two days away. They are at their doorstep. And so right now, in order to make this a beneficial time, okay, you need to humor me, okay, and we need to try to relate to King Jay. I'm going to have to call him King Jay, okay, because it gets, it's tedious saying his name all the time, okay? And actually, what's funny, side note, just time out real quick. When I was doing my message, and it was in my Word document, I did spell check at the end. There were like 156 errors. It was all his name, like every single time. It's misspelled a different way. Okay, so we need to relate to King Jay. So here's what I need you to do. I need you to imagine your, or at least one of, your greatest fears, your greatest fears, one of the worst things that could happen to you. All right, this is a dark place, all right? I'm getting serious. Like I said, we were funny, now we're serious, okay? One of your darkest things that could happen to you, okay? And now imagine that not one of your greatest fears, not two of your greatest fears, but three of your greatest fears have made an alliance, and they're on their way to you, and they're right at your door knocking. And you don't have time to gather your friends around, get help. 
You don't have time to run church. You don't have time to call up Pastor Kyle. Please help me. I don't know what to do. And that's where Jehoshaphat finds himself, okay? Because it would be one thing if they got like six-month advance, all right? Our, our greatest enemy is going to come in six months. We might have enough time to re- recruit an army within us, and then we could withstand them. And, you know, it might even be something if we got six weeks' notice, okay? Six weeks, because then we can make a couple phone calls. We could send out a couple messengers of our own and, you know, find people to help us. But right now, we're just not ready, not prepared for this. Maybe you can relate to King Jay in that when you face your greatest devastation in life, you find yourself with the least amount of preparation, right? The hardest seasons and times of your life, I bet you any money at the beginning, you said, I'm not ready for this. I'm not prepared. Nothing in my life has, has done anything to train me for what I'm walking through right now. And that's where King Jay finds himself. And so he reacts just as any one of us would. Verse 3, Jehoshaphat was terrified by this news. Terrified. That's like the most afraid you can get, okay? It doesn't say he was concerned. So I said that, you know, he was a good king, right? He trusted and followed the Lord. And so it'd be nice to think, you know, that like, you know, he got the news and he was like, well... Jesus will take care of it. It's just going to be fine, you know, like let him come. No, he was terrified. I can imagine his face pale white because he's thinking, man, this is going to be the death of me, my family, my entire nation. And so in verses four through six, it says that he begs the Lord and I need some sort of, you know, some sort of direction on what we're supposed to do. So he just starts, you know, trying stuff. He's like, all right, um, let's get everyone over to Jerusalem. Everyone. We need the whole nation. Let's try to get everyone over there in a day, okay? And, you know, and in fact, stop eating. Eating, okay, which is hard for most of us. Okay, we need to fast because we got to focus on this. We got to figure something out. And so, with the whole nation coming together in Jerusalem, they meet together at the temple. They meet together where God is present. So, back then, prior to Jesus Christ dying for you, they had to go to a place. Now we have someone within our person. Okay, but they had to go there. So they're going, okay, we got to go where, G- where God is, okay? So they gather at the temple, and there Jehoshaphat in front of the entire nation prays this prayer. Verse 6, O Lord, God of our ancestors, you alone are the God who is in heaven. You are ruler of all the kingdoms of the earth. You are powerful and mighty. No one can stand against you. O our God, did you not drive out those who lived in this land when your people Israel arrived? And did you not give this land forever to the descendants of your friend Abraham? Your people settled here, and they built this temple to honor your name. And they said, whenever we are faced with any calamity, such as war, plague, famine, we can come to stand in your presence before this temple where your name is honored. We can try, or we can cry out to you, and you will save us, and you will hear us, and you will rescue us. I want to stretch our thinking today and deepen our why with this concept, that the focus of our worship is all about God, but the function is all about us that the performance, that the production is pointed completely at God. Every song we sing is completely pointed at him. But the purpose of our worship, the impact that happens, has everything to do with you and me. Death is staring Jehoshaphat in the face. And he reacts like any one of us would, right? Okay, like I've faced a lot less and freaked out a lot more than Jehoshaphat, right? Like I remember like uh, this was now six months ago, I think, um, I was told that I was going to have to get shoulder surgery. 
And I'm in my car at my house in the driveway, and I just begin bawling my eyes out. Oh, God, I'm not going to be able to work out. I'm not going to be able, you know, I'm just like freaking out over this. Okay, so obviously much less than nations coming against me. And so Jehoshaphat reacts as anyone would, but where Jehoshaphat reacted with worry, he chooses to respond with worship. The first thing I want to point out about worship is that it changes the direction of our attention. It takes our focus, it, it shifts it. Earlier this year, we were in a series called Get Fit. You can find it on adventurechurch.tv. But we talked about how the difference between being fearful and being faithful is really just a matter of our focus. That if you're focused on what makes you afraid, if you're focused on the problem, if you're focused on what could happen, it's going to stir up fear within your heart. But if we can take our focus from what makes us afraid and turn it to the one that is faithful, stir up faith within our hearts, faith that you didn't even know that you had. And so King Jay gives us a very, very vivid picture of what this looks like. He gets the nation together, and instead of talking hours and hours and hours about this is what we're going through, our enemy is so big, it's it's such a big problem. I can relate, man. I, I do that all the time personally. Man, just let me tell you how bad my life is and what I'm going through. You don't even know what we're going through. But here, King Jay, instead of talking about that and talking about how big his problem is, he starts talking about how big his God is. And he says stuff like, you are the God who is in heaven. You are powerful and mighty. You are the ruler of kingdoms of this earth. Every single kingdom, you rule it, which is kind of funny because here our enemies are coming to take away this kingdom, but in fact, you rule every single kingdom. And we can't stand against them, God. We can't stand. We don't have any hope. We can't withstand them, but no one can stand against you. So our enemy might be at our doorstep knocking, but here we are in your presence at your temple calling out to you. And you know what? I remember, God, I remember that when they built this temple, they said, whenever we face any sort of calamity, war, plague, famine, we can come here in front of this temple and in your presence cry out, and you will certainly rescue us. His worship, his prayer in front of everyone, took his attention from the devastation that was on its way and turned it towards the deliverer who was already there. What's in your life that you see coming? And maybe it's coming. It's not even like, there's no shadow of a doubt. It's on the way. Trouble is on the way. And we're so focused on that, that we forget who's already here. We forget what God has already promised. Worship didn't change um, Jehoshaphat, what he, was, what he was facing, but rather just fixed his focus. But we're going to find out here is that that can make all the difference. The Bible says as they continue to worship, um, the word of the Lord came upon a man named Yahaziel, all right? I worked all week to pronounce that, okay? Yahaziel, all right? And the word of the Lord came to him, and he began to speak to the entire nation. And for many of us, I bet you're like, that's kind of weird. That's kind of weird. Okay, don't get weirded out, but stay in tune, okay? Bible says that Yahaziel began to speak for the Lord, and the Lord said, do not be afraid, verse 15. Don't be discouraged by this mighty army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, march out against them. You will find them coming up through the ascent of Ziz at the end of the valley that opens into the wilderness of Jeruel. But you will not even have to fight. 
Take your positions, then stand still and watch the Lord's victory. He is with you. O people of Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid or discouraged. Go out against them tomorrow, for the Lord is with you. Verse 18, it's about to get real. About to get real. King Jehoshaphat bowed low with his face to the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem did the same, worshiping the Lord. Here, Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, is down, looking at the ground, face down in the dirt. And because he has trained his nation to worship and fear the Lord, the nation, the entire nation, gets down and begins to worship the Lord. And early the next morning, not late, all right? I mean, you think about hitting your snooze when you're on to work. This would be the type of day that you hit the snooze like 25 times. But they got up early. They grabbed their Starbucks. In the morning, the army of Judah went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. On the way, Jehoshaphat stopped and said, Listen to me, all you people, Judah and Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be able to stand firm. Believe in his prophets, and you will succeed. We've got to believe in God, and then we've also got to believe that what God spoke to Yahaziel was true. After consulting the people, the king appointed singers to walk ahead of the army, singing to the Lord and praising him for his holy splendor. This is what they sang. Give thanks to the Lord. His faithful love endures forever. This morning I'd like to show you that worship puts flesh on our faith. Worship puts flesh on our faith. In response to their worship, God gives them his word. But where they were calling out, For salvation, God responds with a command to surrender. I mean, like, we we were following you, Lord, when you were like, we're not going to have to fight, but now you're telling us to go out and go right in front of our enemy. Like, that, that doesn't make sense. Where Judah was calling out for God to conquer, he responds with an instruction to do something that was so counterintuitive, so nonsensical. But with the focus, again, with their attention on God's faithfulness, they respond with a faith of their own. And as they approach the alliance of their enemies, King Jay gathers his people together, and and they start talking about something. And they're like, you know what? We've made a decision. We know that God commanded us to go out there and be still, but in our stillness, we're not going to be silent. And so they start recruiting some singers hey, let's get all the singers up to the front, in front of the army. Can you imagine this? Like, try to, if you can. You are face-to-face with death and destruction, and yet you are pulling singers from the back of your army and telling them to go stand out in front. If I'm a singer, I don't sing no more at that moment. And yet they make their way through. Excuse me, excuse me, I I gotta get up there. Hands shaking, right? My gosh, voices cracking. And they make their way to the front and they begin to sing. And this is what they sang Give thanks to the Lord, his faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord. His faithful love endures forever. Can you imagine their voices barely being able to get it out? But I got to get it out because I'm face to face with my enemy. But but I got to do something. I got to put flesh on my faith. We're already here. We're already doing this. And they continue to sing. And at that very moment, 
Verse 22, at the very moment they began to sing, at the very moment that the words started to leave their lips, at the very moment that their praise started to break through the airwaves, the Lord caused the armies of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir to start fighting against themselves. The armies of Moab and Ammon turned against their allies, the guys that they had just formed an alliance with, and now they're destroying each other from Mount Seir and killed every single one of them. After they had destroyed the army of Seir, then they began attacking each other. So when the army of Judah arrived at the lookout point in the wilderness, all they saw were dead bodies lying on the ground as far as they could see. Not a single one of their enemies had escaped. Man, do you know that worship is the most powerful weapon that our faith has? It's the most powerful weapon of our faith. In Corinthians, Paul talks about, although we are human, we don't fight like humans do. What we're fighting against, another part of Scripture says is, you know, like dark rulers, principalities that we do not even see. And so we can't fight like we think we should. We can't fight in a way that's sensical, but rather we've got to take up a weapon that is not of this world. And in this weapon, in Corinthians, he says, it has the divine power to pull down strongholds. That it has the divine power to bring down anything that comes up against the truth of God that is within your hearts. And in the face of our enemies, we begin to wield this weapon. We begin to praise. We begin to worship when it doesn't even make sense. This is so weird, God. This is so crazy, God. I'm not gonna do this, God. But I believe I believe worship is our weapon. Jehoshaphat didn't have any other choice, but he chose again to direct his attention, not from the problem that was on its way, but to the provider that was already there. And as they're approaching, they get the word of the God and they're like, what? You want us? All right, we'll do this. And they start marching on. You know what? We're going to put flesh on our faith. It's right here. We got to get it out here. So let's get the singers out in front and let's begin to worship. And at the moment their song began, God started to fight for them. I wonder what strongholds are in your life. Every single one of us has got something that we're going on. Every single battle. It may not be something like a relationship or a business problem or family issues. It could be something in here. And I'll just tell you right now, this is my battleground. I really don't need anything to happen outside of me. I can create enough chaos in my mind. I wonder what pain you're experiencing. I wonder what doubts are knocking at your door every single day. And our reaction is to get afraid. Our reaction is to cower. But what if, just like King J, what if we don't let that reaction to dictate our response, but rather after getting over how we feel, we move towards being faithful. I wonder what battles God wants to win on your behalf if you would just choose to worship him. I wonder what victories he wants to put into your life if you would just choose to exalt him for who he is. And you're looking at me, you're like, it's not that easy, Jake. It's not that easy. You got to do more than that. It doesn't come down to just worshiping him. You know what? Actually, it's not easy at all. Actually, it's almost impossible sometimes. It's almost impossible when you're so afraid of something, when you're so just sick in pain, and you've lost someone that you love, tell me, where are those words, I will worship you? How close are they? They're miles away. It's so hard. But if we can utter them, and like those singers, man, I doubt they even sang as good as me, and I'm not a good singer. 
I bet their voices was cracking that they could barely get them out. But if we would just worship him, I wonder what he wants to do. I wonder what would happen if this church, if when we came and gathered together, if we stopped being so consumed about what it's supposed to look like and not look like and the forms and we would just get so fixated on the function and what it does. I wonder if we as Adventure Church became a people where this was such an awesome opportunity and it's not because I get my cardio in, all right? It's such an awesome opportunity because I get to practice something that's very personal and I get to do it with everyone else. I'm telling you right now that any type of worship, man, you don't have to be raising your hands, closing your eyes, whatever. It, God wants to empower this whole body with our worship. He wants to make it personal, and he's got a purpose that's even further than your heart. Case in point, I'm up here, we're doing practice a couple weeks ago, and, and I'm like, I'm just like, I got chaos going in my mind. I'm creating hypothetical situations, and I'm worrying, and it's just weighing so hard on me. And all of a sudden, I look over and I see Brad Brown in the back. He comes here all the time, early, early. And he ain't doing nothing but just praying. But I can see it. And I can see the words leaving his mouth as he prays and as he just worships and he asks God to take care of today. I don't know what he was praying. I had no idea what he was praying. But in that moment, something that was happening right over there became real right here. And God started to speak truth. Man, does our worship have that power? I think so. I really believe that. And so today, we're not going to close with the band coming up here. What you hear right now, can barely hear it, is all you're going to hear. Because what we're going to do is we're going to make it personal. And we're not going to rely on the, func- the forms, rather. I don't, we're not going to sing. All I'm asking you to do is simply close your eyes. Because in the next few minutes... I just want us to make it personal. And in your own heart, maybe come face to face what's in your life. Can we just close our eyes real quick? Every head bowed. There's something going on in your life, whether it's the fact that worship is weird or whether there is a war right in front of you. I'm wondering what God wants to do in your life if we would choose in that moment not to cower in fear, but to run towards our enemy. I wonder what would happen if on a daily basis we just were like this. And you dads, you got a bad day at work and it's just, it's toxic in your mind and you can't break free from it. And you're trying to figure out how in the 20-minute drive, you're supposed to go from having a bad day to being a good, day, a good dad to your, your kids and a loving husband to your wife, and you can't figure it out. I wonder if in that moment, you don't need a band, you don't need the worship team of Vanessa, Mullet, and Justin to get in your car, but rather in the silence, in the stillness, if you would just say, God, I trust you. God, You're my provider. I wonder if you've got confusion in your mind and there's been something that's been weighing you down and it hasn't happened yet and it maybe never will happen. I'm wondering what victory. I wonder if God wants to totally dismember your enemy right in front of your eyes. If you would just say, God, you are my peace. You are my provider. 
so hard in those moments. But if we can make it a practice, I believe God wants to do something so amazing.